First John is towards the back of your Bible. You get to Revelation, you've gone too far. First John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. First John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. If I were to ask you, do you know the verse John 3.16? I think most everybody here in the room would be able to say, yeah, I know that verse, whether you can hit it word for word, but you can get the main idea that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that type of thing. It's a beautiful verse. But if I were to ask you, do you know 1 John 3.16? 1 John 3.16, that's what we're going to look at today. Some of us may know that one, others uh, don't. Uh, if you did Bible drill as a kid, this is one of the verses in the cycle that they cycle through, 1 John 3.16. But I want to talk to you this morning from the Word of God concerning this topic. Generous living is Christian living. Generous living is Christian living. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going to get into it this morning as we look, but for instance, there are certain adjectives we use to describe people. Sweet, kind, patient, loving, mean, stingy, selfish, judgmental. What do all those words mean? Whether negative, and of course you knew which ones were negative before I even described the definitions to you because of the way I was saying them. Well, we use those adjectives to describe what we see in the person. And when it comes to the question of what our life should look like, First John is describing this that we should live life with an open hand. With an open hand. And that's what I want you to see today. We're going to begin in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. Right before I begin reading, just to give you an update on what 1 John is doing here. John is writing, this is considered one of his pastoral epistles. He's writing to shepherd the church, to encourage them about what it means to know that you're saved. What, if it, what it means to know Jesus, to know that you are among the people of God, and to have the assurance that it's all real. And he deals with this over and over again in his epistle. More than any other book in the Bible, it talks about how we can know that we are truly in the truth. And one of the evidences is here, it comes down to Genesis, excuse me, not Genesis, but generous living. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. This is 
1 John 3.16. He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God. He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Our main statement this morning is this, on generous living and Christian living. According to John chapter 3, Christians should be the most generous people we know. Christians should be, we should be the most generous people we know. Now that does not just speak of finances, but it does not excuse finances. It's a position of the heart. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples because of your ability to stereotype the enemy. No, he didn't say that. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples because you fill in the blank. No, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. Now, here's a question. How do people observe love in others? If we are going to be known that we belong to Jesus because of the way we treat brothers and sisters... How are other people going to know that? It's one word. Generosity. Generosity. That is doing me doing something for you that costs me something. We live in a world that seeks to do something for everyone without costing us a dime. But Jesus says, the world's going to know that you belong to me that you do the good works in my name for brothers and sisters and those around you, and it costs you something. Because here's what happens. The watching world looks and thinks, oh, I don't know if I'd have spent money on them. I don't know if I would have been that generous towards them, but goodness, they sure do must, they sure must love those people because that clearly costs something, whether it be time or financial resources so on and so forth. Why is it that generous living is Christian living? Well, he gives us the origin story. 
First is the origin of generosity is rooted and in the heart and the essence of God. I want you to look in verse 11. The origin of generosity is rooted in the heart and the essence of God. Look at the very first verse we read today. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is John 17, when Jesus prays his high priestly prayer. I'm going to just read you a few verses, four verses. It won't be on the screen, but you can listen as I read it today. In John 17, verse 20, I want you to listen what Jesus describes about his relationship with the Father and the words he uses. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because, I, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I love that verse because here's what Jesus says. You want to know what it was like before the world began? It was a love relationship between a father and a son. It was a family it was a family of love in throughout eternity. And the scripture says, listen, I have loved you. The Father has loved you just like he has loved me. Generosity flows from the very heart and the essence of God. The origin of generosity is rooted in God himself. Why are we generous? Because God is generous. When you open the Bible and when you look at the very first of the creation story, you read about a stream that bubbles up into a river. It parts four ways, and then waters and fills the whole earth, symbolizing life and an endless stream of generosity that everywhere the river goes, it brings blessing. This is who God is. These are not just literal things. They're symbolic of who God is, that God is like a river that flows and continues to bless and extend his love and generosity to all the earth. I love that verse in Genesis 2. It says it goes out and waters all the earth. The origin of generosity is rooted in the heart and the essence of God. But number two, the origin, we also not only read about the origin of generosity, the origin of hate of course, we know the origin story of hate between human beings is Cain and Abel. It's the first one we read about. The origin story of hate is rooted in a story of stinginess and jealousy. The origin story of hate is rooted in a story of stinginess and jealousy. Look down in verse number 12. It says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own deeds are evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. 
Whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now let's just be real quick here and that little part at the end, talk about what it doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that no one who has, or anyone who has murdered cannot have eternal life. Murderers get saved every day. It's saying that no one who embraces a life of murdering and refuses to come to God has eternal life. You can't be a fire-breathing murderer and hate everybody you come into and belong to God. This is what the Scripture is saying. They work against each other. You know, back in Genesis 4, verse 7, we read about this story. Um, it's actually Genesis 4, 4 through 4, 7. I'm just going to read you a few verses just to remind you. You know the story of Cain and Abel. They go to bring offering to the Lord. Abel's offering is more excellent and acceptable than Cain's, and Cain's is rejected. The Scripture says, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel's offering. For Cain and his offering had no but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I want to go back to the thought I was saying just a second ago that the origin of hate is rooted in a story of stinginess and jealousy. We just read in Genesis, God says, listen, Cain, there's no reason to be angry. If you bring an acceptable sacrifice, you'll be accepted. Why didn't Cain just say, you know what, God, you're right. I'll go bring an acceptable sacrifice. Well, one of two reasons. Here's the only two I can think of. Well, the third being he's just stubborn. Um, but one, it could be, we look at this story and say, well, Abel brought a lamb and Cain brought grain. Well, both grain offerings and animal offerings are accepted in the Old Testament. I don't think it's because Abel brought a lamb and Cain brought grain. I think rather the scripture says that Abel brought his best, his fat portions. And Cain apparently had brought something, but he didn't bring his best. And God says, listen, Cain, this is, this is not, why are you so angry? If you will not bring me your best, won't you be accepted? And the implication is yes. And I wonder if the first story has to do with stinginess. I've already given you as much as I'm going to give. And you ain't getting no more. Whoa. It's just grain, Cain. It grows every day. Maybe it was stinginess. Or maybe it was jealousy. Maybe it was jealousy. In this sense. Maybe God did desire not a grain sacrifice, but an animal sacrifice. And what would that mean? Cain was a farmer, not a herdsman. For Cain to come up with a lamb, who would he have to buy one from? Abel. And that wasn't happening. I don't know. 
Maybe you've got another idea and say, no, it's like this, Brother Matt. But I'm telling you, when you look back at this story, before hatred and murder ever became a thing, there was stinginess and jealousy. Stinginess and jealousy are more serious than you think because it pours poison into your soul. And no, you may not raise a hand against your brother or your sister, but you may hold a posture of hate. And Jesus says this, listen, if you have hate in your heart for another person, you've already committed murder in your heart. And the origin of hate is rooted in a story of stinginess and jealousy, according to John. But next, the obligation of generosity is rooted in Jesus. Let's move on to more positive things. The obligation of generosity is rooted in Jesus. I love this. After he said, listen, the origin of generosity is God. And the origin of hate is the evil one. It's Cain. It's what the, the devil did through him. And identify and call that what it is. It's just nothing but stinginess and jealousy. And it's wrong. God's not pleased with that kind of attitude. But let me tell you what he is pleased with. He is pleased with what Jesus did. Look in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's interesting. You want to know what love is? Love is one thing. Sacrifice. Love without cost may not be love at all. Cost is sacrifice is simply love put to the test. Because you can tell me you love me all day long, but until you cost, it costs you something. Until it costs me something to love you, do I really love you? It's an unknown. Love without sacrifice is an unknown love. And Jesus demonstrated the obligation that we have for generosity. Jesus is saying to you and me, listen, when it comes to Christian living as generous living, you need to love and you need to love sacrificially. But our obligation to do this is not because simply he tells us so. That'd be enough. But Jesus not only tells us so, this is what he so did for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The obligation of generosity is not just what God says, it's what Jesus has done. I want you to think about this. Jesus could have been generous as God from heaven alone. Jesus could have continued to shower out blessings as God the Son for the rest of eternity. But that's not the story of the Scripture. Not that He just showered blessings from heaven but that specifically Jesus not only gave from heaven, he also gave from earth as a human. So when we talk about generous living and sacrificial love, this is not something that God is asking us to do that he doesn't do and has done himself. Jesus came to this world. He lived as a human being. He worked a job. He made a wage. He sweated all of these things. He got sick. He had a runny nose. He probably had acne as a teenager. All of these things. And he says, I want you to love your brothers. In fact, I want you to lay down your life for them. Now, 
We can hear that and say, okay, well, good. If a train is ever headed towards my neighbor, I'll be sure to push him out of the way and take the train. Well, okay. But in all likelihood, probably, I mean, that might happen, but probably it's not. But John goes ahead and explains for us what it looks like for us to lay down our lives for our brothers. Look at the next thing he says in verse 17. I'll read 16 again. By this we know love that we have laid by this we know love that he laid down his life for us we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Which brings me to the next thing I want to say. Is the next thing that John teaches us is that the obstacles of generosity are rooted within us. We've talked about the origin of generosity, the origin of hate, the obligation for generosity, what Christ has done for us. But the obstacle, what stops us? What keeps our hand closed to the things of God? To be generous with our time, our resources, and all that God has stewarded to us. What keeps our hand closed? Well, typically, when we have our hand closed, we want to blame everyone else. It's them. This is why I have a closed fist, a shut door towards what God is doing. But John says, no, if you have a closed hand to being the hands and feet of Jesus, if you have a closed hand and a closed heart, it's because of things that are rooted on the inside. Again, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He said, well, Brother Matt, what are we supposed to do? We're just supposed to give everything away and just every time we see something, just give and give and give and give and give? It's just not even think about resources or anything like that, managing our lives and our money and all of that. We're just supposed to give? No, that's not what the Scripture is saying. It's saying don't have a closed hand. I looked at one biblical commentator this week. He said the best way to explain this, he said, you know your heart's in the wrong place as a Christian is when you hear a need amongst the people of God or you see a need that you could meet through Jesus and you slam the door. He says, and the commentator said, if that's you, then the text tells you what you are. Now, what could it be? What are you if our hearts are so hard that we see needs and we're able to just slam the door and not care? That's what the text is dealing with. Well, the text is saying that, listen, if you can do that and be okay with yourself, this is a heart check moment because you may not even know God because how can the love of God abide in you and how can the love of God abide in me? Why? Because principle number five, the opportunities for generosity are rooted all around us. I want you to look down in verse 21. Oh, wait, I forgot. I was going to say one more thing. Let's go back to 
principle number four. This is something I learned this week. Um, look in verse 19. Still talking about the obstacles of generosity are rooted within us. Y'all know this verse uh, 19 and 20? By this we shall know we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Y'all know that verse. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. That's what I, I love that verse. And I didn't learn until this week that I've been using it out of context for like my whole life. But it's still, I, I love the verse. But I have always taken it as, hey, listen, if you're having doubts and concerns and fears and these things are plaguing your mind, listen, God is greater than that stuff. He's greater than your hearts. And even if you have questions, God's greater than your hearts. Now, that is true. God's greater than our doubts and fears. But that, I learned this week, Matt, that's not what that verse is saying at all. That verse is actually meaning something very, very different. This is what the scripture means. Remember, he's talking about the context of seeing a need that you can meet as a Christian whether it be amongst the people of God or something missional to do something for the kingdom, to be a part of what God's doing in the world through the church, through your neighbors or whatever, when you see a need and you close your heart. Here's what John is saying. The obstacle to giving is within you because if your heart condemns you, here's what it's saying. You see a need and your heart says, you don't need to be doing that. You don't need to give like that. If you give, you know they're just going to waste those resources. If you do this, you know it's not going to work out. Or, oh, look at you. Oh, you're going to give? You're going to give your time? You're going to go on mission trip? Oh, look who's living for the Lord now. No, that's what the Scripture's talking about. When your heart condemns you against giving, the Scripture says God is greater than your heart. Because have you ever heard the statement, can you not find it within your heart to do this? And some of us, we can't. But the scripture is saying that, listen, even if you can't, God is greater than your heart. And then here he adds another statement. For when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. In fact, the commentator is this. He said, this is rather than an encouragement passage, is a warning passage. It's a warning passage because God knows what you're thinking. And if you slam the door and you close your fist and you say, no, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to. That's just not for me. God knows your heart. He's greater than your heart. And he knows your thoughts. It's a warning passage. So... Moving on to verse number or principle number five. The opportunities for generous, generous living are rooted all around us. The opportunities for generous living are rooted all around us. Look down in verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I love this, is that when you see the need and you say, Lord, you know what? I think you want me to be a part of doing that. If your heart does not condemn you, you have confidence before God to do these things, which it plays into the last one, which is the obedience of generosity produces the blessing of the giver. Look down in verse 22 through 24. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. 
and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us two final statements rarely are we more like Jesus and are we more in step with him than when we are living generously? Rarely are we more like Jesus and we are more in step with him than when we are living generously. I have been personally convicted all week about this principle. Um, the last two days, Friday and Saturday, I normally spend most Saturdays with my family. But for whatever reason, because Andrea had some activities that needed to be done, I had the children just a little more than normal. It's just me and it's just them. That should like be against the law. But the older ones are fine. But the younger ones... They're demanding. And I don't mean just like they demand my attention because they're immature. No, like they are vocally, Dad, do this now. Like they are demanding. And it gets hard. And one of the things that I noticed over the past two days about myself is how offended at times I would get with my own children when they would demand that I do something for them that they couldn't do for themselves. And I was thinking, gosh, I've been doing this all day long. And now they're wanting more. And as I was laying in bed last night thinking about that and thinking about this message, I was reminded that Matt Powell needs to grow in his generous living a lot too. Because there's nothing like stinginess, there's nothing like selfishness that I saw in my own heart yesterday that reminds me, I'm not there yet. And when you see stinginess and selfishness, it's just a reminder to all of us, hey, this is where God needs to work in you. Friends, the final thing is to be generous is to know the giver because God is generous. Jesus is generous. I was thinking about the most generous people I know. I'm not speaking of mere amounts whether it be someone who gives a lot of their time or a little of their time or someone who gives lots of resources or little bit, I don't know. And I'm not talking to the context of church or stuff like that. I don't know what anybody gives here. I know that we do because I asked my wife and she writes the checks. But the most generous people I know are the most, at the same time, the people I perceive to be the most godly people I know. 
Because you can fake everything else. But you cannot fake generosity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, you have been so generous to us. And yet, Lord, even this week in my own heart, being a recipient of such kindness, such generosity, I find stinginess, selfishness in my own heart. And Lord, I'm ashamed of that. Lord, help me grow in understanding what you've done for me. And Lord, help me grow in understanding what you want to use me to do for the lives of other people. Lord, we got one life and it will soon be done. Lord, let us use our time to live generously, not slamming doors in people's faces, but Lord, give us open hearts and open hands. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen and amen.